Welcome back, Neurons and Neuronets, to another episode of the Neon Neuron Podcast. That noise that you're hearing in the background, that magical, empowering sound is Last Year's Nest by Boy Sets Fire. You can find Boy Sets Fire at boysetsfire.net. I don't think I said it enough, so let me just say it one more time. Boy Sets Fire, everybody. You should be listening to them. Anyway, in today's episode, we continue the legendary journey of Johnny Pop. This time we talk about the struggles of being an artist. This is we get we get into a lot of real stuff, a lot of the nitty-gritty of what being an artist actually means and what it is to uh, to feel the frustration of monumental tasks which we feel we are not prepared for nor are we worthy. And this is something this is something weird because as he was saying this I totally, I could totally relate to everything he was saying. Like, I understood, man. But he makes it, he, he brings it about and tells it in such a way that it is so tangible. You can grab it. You can, you can, you can ride along with him and be like, yes, I get it. I understand. I know that struggle. And uh, he also, he also pulls you out of the, uh, out of that darkness, out of the, the deep low feeling that we as artists sometimes experience and he brushes elbows with some of the creme de la creme of the comic book world and by creme de la creme we're not talking about anyone at marvel or anyone at dc or even anyone at image we are talking about kevin eastman and simon bisley and i've been saying bisley wrong my whole life i haven't i have been saying bisley and Johnny showed me the error of my ways, and I now say Bisley. But he was—he ran into Kevin Eastman and Simon Bisley, and uh, I mean, in the story, it's—it's it's, in his story, it's pretty amazing. Like, if I ever met Simon Bisley, it would be like for two seconds, I wouldn't know what to say, I wouldn't have the confidence or even the wherewithal to ask for anything. And Johnny was put together enough, was determined enough to put this out, to put his comic at the time, to put it to try and make something, I don't even want to say great, because he just wanted, it, it, from, the, from the sound of it, he just wanted to make something. And I, we all just want to make something. But in his uh, journey to create something lasting, Simon Bisley says this to him. This is amazing, and and this is what it's about, and it's a brotherhood, and we're all in this together, and we have to support each other, and this is how it is. I mean, and that's amazing. That is probably the, the greatest advice. No, it's not even advice. It's... um. It's a rule. It's like a rule to live by the guidelines of comic book, of underground comic book artists, of people trying to make their way in this world of commercialism, of selling out-ism. Anyway, I'm getting so sad. I could go on forever about what I like and what I hate about the comic book industry, but it's not what I want to do. I just, I just want you to get to know Johnny Pop because his struggle is our struggle. Am I making this way, way more than it is? But it's because he tells these stories and I, I totally, I understand where he's coming from. I get it. I get it, man. But without further ado and without me just 
Ugh, just talking, talking, talking. I, have I mentioned that I love talking to the microphone, to you guys out there, to the Neuroniverse? I love it. And sometimes I think I love it too much, like right now. Anyway, without further ado, Chapter 2 of The Legendary Journeys. So you met Kevin Eastman, like, I, I, yeah, because I saw that picture in one of your um, Instagram posts that you're hanging out with him. So I, I've been, I, I can't think of a better word, so I'll use some small word. Uh, I have been extremely, and extremely is not even a good enough word. I have been <laughs> extremely lucky in my young adult to adult life, um, you know, beyond just meeting my wife and, and having a beautiful family. Uh, and mm-hmm. and being able to sit at this desk right now and talk to you while I'm painting. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that definitely lucky and extreme. Yeah, dude, like there's you've got some guiding force in your life. I do, and sometimes you know I, I used to tell myself it was like, oh, all this bad shit happened to me, so so all this good shit happened to me later. But like whatever, I mean, you know, whatever. You you make up your own myths. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was extremely lucky. I went to comic conventions in the early '90s, you know, by myself. And I got to meet Kevin, um, even like you know in like the early 2000, and he was running the heavy metal booth in Madison Square Garden at the Comic Con, and uh, I think it was like New York Sci-Fi Con or something at the time, or Fantasy and Sci-Fi Comic Convention, mm-hmm. and like and no one's talking to him, you know, like I'm sure I'm sure at, at some point over the weekend if it was a three-day thing I don't remember, uh, I'm sure I'm sure there was people there like with you know leather jackets asking him to airbrush him or whatever, or buying tons of heavy metal stuff and asking him to sign it and. Yeah. Turtles, turtles. I'm sure. I'm not like trying to say nobody wanted to talk to Kevin Eastman. No, f that. He's Kevin Eastman. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, there was nobody there. It's not like today, is what I'm saying. I walk up. I tell the guy. He, I'm wearing a bootleg turtle shirt that I made because they didn't make any shirts at the time <laughs> any, anymore. Uh, Dude, that's iron, perfect. Yeah, it was an iron-on transfer I had made, which their their original <laughs> shirts back in '84 and '85 were iron-on transfers I had mailed away for back then. So now I was just printing them out myself. So. <laughs> I'm wearing a bootleg shirt, and, you know, I'm all punk rock because, yeah. you know, how else to, you know, just right. segregate yourself even more from society than to have a giant mohawk. So, Dude, that's cool. So Yeah, yeah, sure it is. Uh, <laughs> I got another story about that. Um, so, so I, you know, I'm talking to him, and he's got, like, you know, tattoos, and he's got his bandana and his long hair back then, you know. And I'm talking to him, and I'm telling him the same stuff I just told you, probably, about, like, turtles. And I'm like, listen, I'm like, by the way, I'm like, you gave me my first Nirvana moment. And he kind of, like, looks at me, and he, I think he kind of knew what I was about to say. And I was like, you know, when they when they came out on the cartoon show, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I ruined it for you. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm glad you have millions of dollars now or whatever. And I'm, I'm glad you can keep making it. I just want you to know I still love the book, and you know, I still read it, and it's fantastic. And so I got to meet him then. And he, while he was listening to me gush like a fanboy, yeah, um, he did this amazing Casey Jones uh, wearing a New York City ripped jersey, um, you know, three quarter bust, full eight half by eleven uh, golf club wielding sketch for me. I mean, it's got grays yeah. and blacks and everything. I'm staring at it right now, and that's, right next, oh, and so I was cool. lucky enough to meet him again two years later uh, across the street and the same convention, but just with a different name. And on that same frame in a double mat is another Casey Jones. Uh, because I told him every time I met him, I was going to ask him for a Casey Jones. So I, at that point in my life, was lucky enough to meet him twice. 
And then in 2005, maybe a little bit earlier than that, him and Simon Bisley in one of Bisley's only rare, uh, from what I understand, rare occasions in New York Comic Cons, mm-hmm. um, which I believe I heard Bisley say himself on some interview. Um, I got to meet them at the Pennsylvania Hotel, and yeah. I dre- I was working on a comic book at that point. Uh, Jim Mafood and uh, and Eric Evan Dorkin and a bunch of other black and white, you know, uh, uh, artists. Um, you know, the the second gen. Of, yeah. that, of that black and white, you know, slave labor. The underground scene. Yeah, yeah, you know, slave labor. And then obviously Jim Food's huge now. I think he's doing uh, like Nike yeah, ads. Dude. And when I left Brooklyn, he was doing Cult 45 ad murals. Yep. Um, so he, guys... was, he was a big inspiration for me, like in the early 2000s. I was all over his jock, like, dude, this guy is so original. This guy, he's oh, going to yeah, be yeah. the next big thing in comics. Look at him. Look at his work. And, and he's the next big thing in art. Yeah, fuck, yeah. You know, like, I love comics, but fuck comics. Uh, he's the next big thing in art. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he is. He is a big inspiration. I was lucky enough to meet him, too. And, you know, oh, if you live in New York. Man, you, you meet just, everyone. Dude, what am you, I doing in Memphis? <laughs> country music? <laughs> nah, not even that. I think we got Elvis. That's it. Uh, oh, sorry. Well, my mom would be happy about that, I guess. Uh, but, um... So I got to meet. So I was putting together a comic book, and it was uh, it was called like Kaiju Man, and it had really kind of developed itself from being like this funny kind of Evan Dorkin thing, to being a lot more serious. And I had written this like whole ten year script, and I had met this dude that I was working with at my my you know my uh, manual labor job, my mm-hmm. union my union job, and he was a phenomenal artist. This kid, he was unbelievable. But I'm not gonna say his name and give him any credit because he doesn't draw anymore. And he uh, gave up. And um, but I love him. I still love him. I love you, Tony. And <laughs> and uh, he he was gonna draw the book, and he started redrawing my characters. And I said, you know what? You draw a lot better than me because I have no self-esteem and I think I suck. Yeah, uh, I'm, so, I'm there, dude. Yeah, well, I was totally miserable about that kind of stuff. I I drew every day and filled sketchbooks and then just threw them out. So mm-hmm. I didn't even keep them. I, I thought they were worthless Kindle. So <laughs> uh, which you should never feel that way about anything you do in life. I'm, I'm, I'm getting over that. I'm still kind of just kind of growing out of that phase right now. Well, good, good. I mean, you know, I'm glad your kids are probably seeing that too. Yeah, that's what I'm doing it for. Totally. So I, I, I told Tony, I said, you know what, dude? I said, Kevin is going to be at this convention. I said, I, you know, we've got the drive. I, I've written this whole 10-year uh, thing. Um, I decided that I was going to do strictly graphic novels. This is like before 2005. People weren't doing... Uh, a lot of people weren't doing straight to graphic novel. I don't remember yeah. anybody else. I don't remember anybody that was really doing um, a continual series straight to graphic novel. Um, I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure you know someone's probably screaming at me right now. What an idiot I am. People were doing um, just very few. It was like it under the radar type of thing. It wasn't Image and it wasn't Marvel and it wasn't DC. You yeah. know? So let's let's just say that you know um, <laughs> you know screw them. So it wasn't them and. <laughs> Um, give me a job. And <laughs> I I was like, this is what I want to do. I said, I'm just going to tell big chunks because I want to read things in big chunks in life, which now has obviously turned into people marathoning things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I want to read things in big chunks. I'm telling you, this is the way of the future. It's like manga format. We're just going to do it like this. We're going to be ahead of the curve. 
Uh, so I written this whole 10 year story. And then at the end of it, I was going to kill my main character because the whole time you didn't even realize that that secondary character was actually the main character. It's like, kill, it's like having people read Batman for 10 years and then killing off Batman. And he didn't realize that like Tim Drake is, is the, is the big deal. And yes, I said, Tim Drake. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so oh, dude, that's an awesome premise. I like that. Thank you. So guess what? I was very surprised. Kevin thought it was a great premise too. So I made this press kit where I had basically put a summary of, I thought what I thought a press kit looked like. Uh, I got some really expensive paper. I put it through my printer. Um, we, we used Photoshop. Uh, we, you know, there was no manga studio. We used Photoshop. We colored the thing. We used Copex on top of Photoshop, on top of this, on top of that. Actually, I guess not Copex, uh, Prism colors. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, he, and then I, I, unfortunately, because Tony was a little slow, I had to draw some of my stuff and make it look good. Um, and then we had like this eight page character sheets and everything looked really nice and presentable. I can even admit that to myself back then. <laughs> um, and there was a synopsis page in the front. And then I handed it to, to Kevin. I just watched some kid, um, some kid just like same age as me in the twenties, give him a fully printed comic the kid had made. And Kevin talked to him for a while or whatever. And then, you know, Kevin put the comic in his bag and was like, I'll read this on the plane. Awesome. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, I'd sign the kid stuff. And I'm sure Kevin did read it on the plane because he's an amazing human being. And, um, that's good yeah, to kid, hear. This kid had a, he really is. He, this kid had a full comic. So here I am coming with nothing really, in my opinion. And just an idea and some paper. Yeah. So I, I, <laughs> I, I just rambled this whole shit out and I even pull out my sketchbook to show him all these liner notes and stuff. And Simon Bisley, who, um, is just, you know, actually enthusiastic, enthusiastically, like looking over and commenting. Um, and like several yeah, times he pointed at my so sketches cool. and said they were used the word great. And I was oh, like, man. I was like, Simon, you're clearly drunk or something because <laughs> this, this is, this, you know, even now I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe him even where I've, uh, the level I'm, I'm struggling at now to get to. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, you know, again, even longer story. So, uh, I'm sitting there and I go through the whole spiel and Kevin goes, this is great. No, blah, blah, blah. And he's making comments about things. He says, okay. He says, so you want me to publish this? And now there's a line of people behind me. Um, <laughs> because at that point, you know, image had already republished turtles in volume three. And, and I think dream works, not dream, dream wave studios, I think was probably doing a turtle thing. So, you know, turtles were kind of back in and people were coming over. And I think the turtles cartoon was, was, uh, the 2000 series was up. 2005. So people were coming, they were in line. They're like, yo man, that turtle guy, get out the way, you know, jackhole, which are pipe pipe dreams. So (laughs) Kevin goes, what do you want me to do with this? And I'm like, he's he's like, he's like, you want me to publish this? And I'm like, no. And he looks at me and I go, I want to self publish. And there's like this kind of grin on him, you know, like <laughs> that later on I realized is either one of two things, either boy, you a fool uh-huh. or, 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 Hey, this kid wants to do what we did. Yeah. You know, like maybe he thought there was some merit in that. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Maybe boy, you a fool. So I, he probably, so he, he probably saw, he was looking in the mirror at that moment. He was looking in the mirror. Maybe, maybe. And I told him, I was like, you know, I made this press kit in 24 hours. And he's like, you made this in 24 hours? And I was like, yeah. And at that point, you know, again, I wasn't sure if it showed or if he was impressed. And I pointed at my my artist and I said that he was the artist. And I said that these were my sketches and I couldn't draw. And this was my wife and she had done all the font and text uh, uh-huh. for it because she was, Nicole was excellent at that. And Nicole has always been a supporter. She bought me my first real art supplies. Oh, that's awesome, dude. She, yeah. She bought me Microns and, and it bought me my first table. So anyway, that's a whole other story I could go into. So, cause I love my wife and, 
um, I, I tell him, no, I want you, I want to ask you it, how I can get you to draw the cover. Do I, do I have to contact somebody? Will it cost me $500,000? <laughs> do I have to take out a, I mean, I'm, I'm actually saying some of this to him. I yeah. think. And I'm like, you know, I've slowed down at this point because now I'm embarrassed because now he's actually asked me what I want. And I'm like, I, I just, I feel if you draw the cover, people will walk across the aisle and pick it up and maybe buy it. Man, that is ambitious. And he, and you know, now Kevin's doing covers like crazy. IDW is, mm. you, know, I, you know, I, you know, it's almost like he's changing the table. I mean, IDW is, they're smart. They've got him exclusively and they are, they are using him and, and letting him pour out his, his creative talent all over everything. Uh, but he wasn't doing covers then. You know, like this, he was yeah. running, he was running heavy metal and doing passion projects. Turtles were dead doing covers, you know? So, um, he, he maybe he thought I was crazy. Who knows? So, so <laughs> he reaches down in his bag, not to pull out the switchblade uh-huh. <laughs> or, 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 or the bat or call security, right? But, but pulls out his, his little, uh, bifolding, like, I don't know how to explain it. Business card. That's got, the like the Northampton uh, phone number on it and the LA phone number on it. Dude, uh, that is and, so cool. And gives me his contact information. Dude. And like these, and I'm, I'm like one of these is a house. I'm pretty sure. Dude. So I, if Man. I if I had the energy to, uh-huh. I I would have pissed myself. <laughs> but I didn't have the energy at that point, so I just stood there and probably turned three sheets of white. Uh, Simon Bisley looks over and says something to me that I'll never forget and said, he puts his hand on the book and, and I don't think he meant that the work was amazing because I still don't have that self-esteem level mm-hmm. yet, but he said that, that this is amazing. And I think he just kind of, it, I like to think he meant like the, you know, the, the fact that I, I sat there and threw my circus in their face. Um, that, that's the only credit I'll take. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he, he's put his hand on top of it. I'll never forget. He leans over and says, this is amazing. And I'm not going to do his British accent, but he's like, this is amazing. And, and this is what it's about. And it's a brotherhood and we're all in this together and we have to support each other. And this is how it is. And I will never forget that, that Simon Bisley said that in front of me. That's um, awesome. So, here I am pumped and I'm rewriting the script and I am storyboarding because that's what I do. Uh, uh-huh. if, if you're the artist and I don't think I can draw and I'm, I'm segregated to writing, then I'm going to tell you obnoxiously what angles I want, but don't worry. I'm going to give you film references and, and, and draw these thumbnails out and show you camera angles because I don't have to draw it. I can just demand it from you. <laughs> so, so I do this really intense kind of guideline of what the, even the first issue is supposed to look like, let alone the rest of the book. Um, cause I was still calling it by issues, but it was chapters. Me and Tony mm-hmm. were referring to it as chapters. Tony at that point, it was real to me that, I, I always said I had enough drive for both of us. He said, you know, I had so much drive, Tony himself. It, it just came to a point where, like, he he just didn't have any drive in life. Like, he... Oh, he man. got... He kind of... He got hurt at work, and 
I'm not saying he, he was like faking or anything because he got accused, you know, by people, coworkers. When you were manual labor, people was like, ah, he's not hurt. He's just collecting comp or whatever. Yeah, well, that kind of that kind of uh, lifestyle and job, that's a lot of tough guys, right? Yeah, that's what I grew up around. It's a lot of yeah. ignorance and a lot of tough guys, and and there's a lot of intelligent people, but they're hiding it through ignorance. Unfortunately, I was one. <laughs> I was I was one of them. Um, and and I people can just assume, yeah, I bet you can. And I, everybody just assumes the worst of everybody or wants to say the worst because that's a cool manly thing to do is to shit on everybody. <laughs> yep. So, but I think he did get hurt. But I think at a certain point, um, I think Tony couldn't get over the pain because of other things that were going on in his life and relationships. And I, I think just, you know, he dwelled on it in, in the pain at certain aspects and he got out of shape and that, that that's always worse when you're, when yeah. you're, um, when you're hurt and you put weight on top of it, it's never good, especially for manual labor. You can't come back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, a de- it's not a desk job that he, he could have got relinquished to and just sat there in pain and, and ate Advil all day, you know? Uh, yeah. So I basically lost Tony uh, to to himself. Um, he's still alive, I'm sure, but I, I lost him to himself. And he stopped returning phone calls, and he, he never came back to work uh, while I was there at that job, which was for years. Because um, that and uh, yeah, I just lost him, and I gave up. And I, like I said, I didn't believe I could draw, even though I was overly. Um, you had talent. I don't you just sure. didn't have the skill. Sure, I'll let you say it. Um, <laughs> uh, even though I, I had received those compliments on my sketch work from them in person, um, I, I didn't believe I had it. And so is it is um this? Let me just derail you a little bit. The the, uh, the low self esteem in art. It's like a bunch of non artists telling you that you're good, but you really want artists artists to tell you that you're good. Is it something? I think- I think it's a lot of things. I think it's one, that's one aversion. I think it's two that when, um, depending on your, your, your lack of self-esteem level, uh, I think when people who know you say your shit's good, you don't believe them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I have a friend who's very supportive of me and, um, and when she tells me my stuff's great, I uh, I I only half believe her these days. Yeah. Uh, because because you know in the beginning that- when we didn't we know each other, I trusted her, you know. But now I it's just us being supportive. But you need that too. There's nothing wrong with that. We even if you don't believe the person, you think they're just being kind because they say your stuff's great every day. Um, it's still a support that it, it is, is nice to have. Yeah, it is. I, I understand when when like my parents are like you're a good artist. And it's like yeah, you're just, you're, you're you're supposed to say that. Well, hey man, at least your parents said it to you. I think a lot of people. <laughs> I think a lot of people. I'm not going to say oh woe is me, but I think a lot of people don't have that, and I think that's great that that your parents did say it to you, unless you're just using that as an example. I was just um, using that as an example, but they no, have. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, you should shut me up every once in a while. You're gonna have to edit the hell out of this thing. Not because of the cursing anymore, because I just talk and talk. Um, no, that's great. I mean, your your stories are uh, that that whole uh, all your stories have been great so far. I don't know. I do not want to get. I do not want to get in the way of that. <laughs> oh well, thanks, thanks. Um, this will be a twenty part podcast about nobody, Johnny Pop. Take tw- take <laughs> right. take twelve. I think we we'll did. just make this your podcast. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Um, so, so, 
So, yeah, so that book went nowhere. And then I actually started to redraw in a chibi style after several months of depression mm-hmm. um, uh, because I didn't realize it was depression, but it was depression. Yeah, I, I started yeah. to redraw it uh, as a chibi style. It was like, because this is the best I can do is to make it cute because I can't do it dynamic because mm-hmm. I was an idiot. And I didn't <laughs> know that you don't run out the gate being amazing in life. You know, some people, I hate the word natural talent because I used to say people were naturally talented artists. Listen, everybody starts at a different level in life at different skill sets. Billy starts at a mechanical level of five. You know, Jill starts at a mechanical level of 11. You know, we all have these things. And drawing, while you can have an eye for drawing realism, continue sorry about that no 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 uh i think drawing an art of any kind is mechanical especially drawing is mechanical you teach yourself how to do it um yeah like i said with realism it it can be a higher level of starting point about understanding like my wife is great at realist i think that would equate to what talent actually is like when they say some people have talents like well you're just good at this level but yeah talent's only going to get you so far if you don't exercise it and develop your skill yeah, like let's let's use Stan Sakai as a, as an example. You look at Usagi Ojimbo book one; it looks great. The stories are great. It's phenomenal. We all wish we could tell that story of Usagi Ojimbo collected book one. You look at Usagi Ojimbo collected book twenty something. Uh huh. Stan Sakai has now made his old stuff look like trash <laughs> to himself, not to me. It's still fantastic. Yeah. I can't do it. But but that's the point. Stan Sakai didn't start off going, well, I'm not going to draw Sagi Ojimbo and tell these stories because I don't think I can draw. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to draw these stories because i got to get this shit out. And the, the world needs to hear it even though they don't know that they need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's what it is that's what you have to do you have to realize that so I didn't realize it so I did the chibi thing and it didn't work out because I gave up because I didn't like it because it wasn't the true passion the true passion was that this thing was supposed to look like anime in motion which guess what five years later that's what the, the up and coming artists were doing they were making their shit look like anime in motion mm-hmm. um, and Tony let me tell you Tony was more of a, an image Todd McFarlane um, you know, kind of artist. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I never say the guys, I never say any artist's last name, right? What's his name? Todd, Todd, uh, Nauk. Uh, uh, like I, I think it was knock Todd knock. That's how Todd I Nock. said it. Yeah. Todd knock. Yeah. You're right. Yes, you're right. Um, t- Tony was like naturally at that, naturally talented, even though I just said that doesn't exist. <laughs> he, he was, he was at that level at yeah. that moment. Um, he could do that stuff. And I took him and I was pushing him into an area he wasn't comfortable with, but that he grew into, which was more anime based and not like Joe mad anime based, nothing against Joe mad. Um, Mm -hmm. this stuff's fantastic, but, but different. I'm trying to, I can't think of the references that I was using at the time, but it was the stuff that would like kind of later become, um, it was the it was the people I was showing him the stuff that influenced the people that became the minds behind Naruto and um, Tepe Tapa, uh, you know, uh, Gurren Lagann. Oh yeah, the what, what is it? Ah oh, man, I'm drawing a huge blank. Yeah, no, I can't remember. I, you know, this is what happens when you have kids. People don't understand that you're not any less. <laughs> yeah, of a, not right. any, we're not any less of fanboys. 
It's that we now have to remember all these birthdays, birthdays. likes, and dislikes that aren't my own, that are other people's. I have to know that my son doesn't like this robot on Rescue Bots, but likes this robot. And I have to know... You know, generation 27 Pokemon names now, you know, because he just got into that at four years old. So, you know, I have to remember all this stuff and I have to remember where he left this one tiny figure that we got at a flea market six years ago. Or he's not six years old, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I have to to know exactly where it is in his room. So I'm still a huge fanboy. I'm still a huge fanboy. Don't get me wrong. Of course. Right. (laughs) Right. But we just can't remember all that stuff like we used to. Because your brain is your brain is occupied with our, our child's more important stuff. So yeah, so I was leading Tony in that direction. So I, I didn't want to do the chibi stuff and, and Tony was grasping it beautifully and making it look gorgeous and I hated him for not going on with the book, but whatever. So um so that book got scrapped. And you're and not working on another book, right? So then later on I became Tony. My friend, my very talented friend, Martel Berry, um, is a talented uh, film student, writer. Um, he's, he's worked in, in on film and he's worked in, in TV shows and stuff, uh, you know, as behind the scenes um, where the important people are. Um, mm-hmm. Not not the pretty people, the important people. Right. <laughs> not that he's not a handsome son of a gun. Um but my beautifully talented genius friend Martel Berry uh, saw some some stuff that I was working on about a year or two later, where I said to him, "Listen, I'm not going to do the book with, that I was doing with Tony, which was all my stuff. I own all the rights to that stuff. That book, Tony, uh, you know that. And, and here's the funny thing: I told Tony that uh, if the book went, you know, if we sold anything, You'd I was still gonna, help him out." I was going to split it with Tony 50. Oh, at the time when we were working on it together, I told Tony it's 50, 50. I said, even though it's all my creation and I own all this crap, mm-hmm. it's both of us are putting the work and it's 50, 50. So Tony would have got 50% of the money of, if there was any. Right. Cause that's, I wanted him to be equal. So, so I told, um, Martell, I said, I can't do the Tony book, the book I was doing with Tony. I said, cause I just can't, I don't have that ability. I said, so I'm going to try and do these simpler books. And I had come up with a book that I don't even want to really talk about it too much because no one else has done anything like it yet. And there's an expiration date on ideas because someone else comes up with it. Yeah. Oh, man. If you, so, you know, kids, if you don't come do that idea that you got about the dinosaur that talks and has Gatling guns, guess what? <laughs> it's done. Someone else is going to do it soon. So just, you don't know how much anxiety that law gives me. Like for, I, I have so many stories floating around in my head that have been floating around in my head for like 20 years. And I'm like – like I, I feel that I'm like someone else is gonna do this before I do it, and then I'm just gonna look like a jerk trying to copy him. And I, Listen, oh, I, I'm sure there's a real law or something or theory behind it, but I'm just gonna call it Jodorowsky's law from now on. Just, just do it, do it and fail. <laughs> just, you know, write it in crayon, yeah. write, write the novella in crayon, put it out there, put it on the, you know, walk into Barnes and Nobles, drop that one copy on the table, say you did it, and leave. That way, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Just, just so you can say you did it. You know, it's like yeah. art drop, book drop. Oh. So so kids do it because someone else is going to come up with talking dinosaur with Gatlin. Guns. I think that's going to be the next big thing, the uh, book drop. Yeah, I, I just invented it. You did. So um, Jodorowsky's Law. <laughs> so so I tell Martel Berry, I'm going to keep, you know, some people you just call him by their first and last name. So mm-hmm. I tell Mr. Berry that I have these three projects and I'm thinking about working on one of them and I'm leaning towards this one. And it's a music-based book. Uh, and this is what I want to do with it. Martel looks at it. 
And it's a parody, in a sense, just like Turtles in its first incarnation paid homage to Daredevil, uh-huh. you know? Um, this is... Pa- the, the, the original version of this, I don't mind saying, parodied both Spider-Man's origin and the Turtles parodying Daredevil's origin. That was me, <laughs> that was me being funny. Um... But it was my way of putting out a humorous book that, but also had emotional seriousness to it. Almost kind of like, like, um, you know, like I don't know, like, like, like the the Teen Titans from like a decade ago, like the the cartoon, like where it was like it was serious, uh, but, yeah, but it was sorry. also, but it was cute, but it was so. I'm not saying the book was like that, but I'm saying it was in that that kind of vein. I'm sure there's a million things that are like that. That it's just like it's funny and humorous. But it's also about emotion. Yeah. You know, um, I guess I guess Scott Pilgrim is kind of like that in a way, maybe. Well, oh man! See, now you're touching topics that I haven't. I don't. I don't know anything about uh, Scott okay. Pilgrim. I'm familiar with his art. I'm familiar with um, Brian Lee. The, Brian Lee. I'm familiar with his work. I'm not too familiar with Scott Pilgrim. Okay. And I'm not familiar at all with the Teen Titans. Like I haven't touched Marvel comics since. Uh, oh, that's DC. Uh, I mean, yeah, DC and Marvel. I meant the, like the big two. Right, I haven't touched right. the big two since Image came out. And right, no, no, I hear you. So uh, I, I think a lot of people went that way. I think a lot of people like jumped onto that Image train and was like, "Hey, see you later." Oh, uh, dude, that was heaven. That was like the best. That was like the pinnacle of what comics was. Was when Image started, did what it did in the beginning. But anyway, Listen, sorry. No, no, you're right. And then you know, unfortunately, the the one book I really gravitated to at the time from from the Image lineup. Um, was so delayed that I, I wound up walking away from Image sooner than probably most people did. Uh, which one was it? Uh, Cyber Force. Oh, oh, dude. It was the coolest looking book. I don't care what anybody says. No, I, I loved it. I, it was I, the best looking book on the on the market. And it, 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 it like, you know, I was like waiting for months, I felt like, for, for the issues to come out, you know. And well, around just, what issue did you uh, jump off? Three, I think, I don't, and then I think they rebooted it like uh, like shortly afterwards because the I remember seeing issue number one. I have it somewhere. It yeah. was the same cover, but the colors weren't dynamic, and I was like, "What is this?" I'm like, "Is this like a second <laughs> printing?" And I don't remember if it was or not, or if they had just rebooted it, or but yeah, it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not saying anything negative about that. They did something miraculous oh, by yeah. by by flipping the bird and walking out the door, you know. Yeah, um, like the the one that really spoke to me, like the artist and the comic that I, I I like I jumped on the image bandwagon so hard, and like I was picking up everything just to get familiar with it. But the one that really stuck with me was Eric Larson and the Savage Dragon. You know what? I I hate you for saying that because I years later fell in love with Savage Dragon, and I've always liked Eric Larson from from being a Spider Man fan. Yeah. But I am so jealous that you were so much smarter than me to realize what the Savage Dragon was. You were were so much smarter than me at that time. I will say that. And see, and and like, I I can't remember how old I was. I was like early teens, maybe 13, 14. And like what Eric Larson was doing with comics was so, like with mainstream comics was like, he was bringing indie comics and mainstream comics together because he was pushing the envelope for what mainstream could do. And and if you grew up on 80s Marvel and that's what you liked, he was giving it to you. 
he was giving. I mean, at first it looked like some people were like, "Oh yeah, it's cute. He's you know he's wearing it on his sleeve. It's it's, it's a parody. That's totally star as Peter Parker. Yeah, yep. I get it. <laughs> but no, it's like no, yeah, that wasn't what it was about. It was even better than that. He was giving you Jack Kirby. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody, you know what I'm about to say. Nobody tells a Jack Kirby story like Eric Larson. Uh, I mean, obviously Jack Kirby, but right. but like nobody <laughs> nobody reproduces a Jack Kirby story from scratch mm-hmm. with all new characters. I mean, oh, you know, this, this isn't about like Walt Simonson taking the Thor hammer and running with it, which right. is you know, or any greatness uh-huh. like that. That's greatness. But this is this is a dude who invented his own fifth world. <laughs> you yeah, know, like yep. these are the new, new gods. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you used that word. God, cause I think this guy, Eric Larson created his own mythology Yes. and it was just so huge. So expansive. Like there was dude, just so much going on. A talk with God, that trade <laughs> paperback was the, like the only one that was sold out. And like, and it, they yeah. never, re, they didn't reprint it for years. You know, I never got the, cause I have all the trades, even though Eric, I love you, Eric, but you do not print the trades in order anymore. What the hell happened? <laughs> uh, I'm not buying a giant omnibus. I already bought like 12 volumes. Uh, um, I got kids. <laughs> I got a kid to feed. Right. Um, no, but a talk with God. I didn't get that graphic novel, which I think is like graphic novel seven. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it. Until I had to go all the way to England and find it in like the original Forbidden Planet over there, uh-huh. and I and I got like the British cover. I think it's like a different cover, like a second printing or something. I couldn't find it anywhere in America, and no, no children. There was no Amazon, at least not in the capacity yeah. there is now. So, oh man, yo, yo, you're right, man. Like you know, um, it's Eric Larson, you know, you're lucky. You know, I mean, I bought, I I had Savage Dragon number one, and I had like number three and number five, and then I had the Turtle crossover issues, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then obviously, like I, I think I mentioned it earlier, uh, Volume Three Image had Volume Three of Turtles, and many people didn't like it. Uh, I read it and I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, Dantel getting his face blown off. Spoiler, um, <laughs> which is why years later, when people were like, "Hey, you hear what they're doing uh, with Dantel at IDW?" and I'm like, "Yeah," I'm like, "But I've already been through the ringer." <laughs> <laughs> you know, with with, yeah. with Raphael getting his face blown off and Dantel, uh, you know. With, Air quotes, dying. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I love that stuff. And the image was good at that time. Yeah. Um, oh man. See, that was but, a good time to be alive. And then, like, I don't see. I, I fell out of comics. Um, I can't even remember when I stopped collecting because other things we, became more important. We yeah. all do. It's either it's either work or responsibility or drugs yeah. or girls. <laughs> but it, it's one a of those little things. Little bit of everything, us. maybe. Yeah, no, yeah, and they, they, which is why you're a well-adjusted human being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> On the outside. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I think my bo- <laughs> I think my body's recouped. Yeah. Um, don't do drugs, but yeah. <laughs> you're you're just you're just you're just you know wasting time doing drugs. Um, but yeah, so I, I forgot how we got. I mean, I know I know we were talking about the the esteemed. Uh, 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 Martel Berry, but I don't remember how right. we got to that um, point. He was encouraging you. He looked at your book. <laughs> he uh, looked at my book. Yeah, I don't know how we got on Image, but they deserve <laughs> Image deserved to be talked about, uh, and yeah. especially Eric Larson, who, he, I, who, who uh, I then later met and gave my press kit to that same uh, day. That same day. Oh man, um, that's. Who wrote, I see, me, I, I have, who wrote me a, a very polite uh, images and going in this direction letter? 
that I still have. <laughs> that's, <laughs> which, that's still cool. Which five years later, they totally were going in that direction. But I was too much of a tool to be still drawing. Yeah, dude, you were uh, so ahead of the game on, on so many different levels. I actually was. You don't even know, like, uh, like big robots. I, w- I was uh, there. I was there before, uh, before a few <laughs> people researched it. I just didn't have the talent. And you know what? F F not having the talent, more important than not having the talent, I didn't have the belief in myself. Because if I had had the belief in myself, we'd be having a totally different podcast conversation right now. I think I found a new guru. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know. You're you're saying everything that I need to hear. It's so weird. But I'm showing nothing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you everything and showing you nothing. But, uh,. But so Martel comes over and he looks at these stories and he's like, yeah, you should run with this one. You should run with uh, this one. But let's can I can I take a shot at it? And I'm like, yeah, you want to you want to do a couple rewrites or something? He's like, yeah, yeah, let me take a shot at it. So Martel and I'm I'm living in like this. This took a while because I'm living in a brownstone in Park Slope, renting a brownstone, renting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not, not owning people, uh, renting a brownstone <laughs> in Park Slope. Uh, you know, it, it's chopped up, tiny little apartment, junior one bedroom, with an art desk jammed in the living room uh, that, that my wife bought me. You know. See, how do people live like that, man? I can't even imagine. Because when you're in New York, you're a caged animal. Um, <laughs> you are, you are, unfortunately. So. I had this, you know, art desk pushed in front of this big, beautiful window, and uh, Martel rewrites it, drops all the parody crap, and mm-hmm. puts it still humor, still still some humor in the book because everything has to be balanced. Everything has to have yeah. humor and romance, and there has to be a balance of everything and something, even if it's minute. Um, so it still had humor in it, but it was more a little bit more real, and. I told him I liked it, but there were certain parts I didn't understand and certain parts that we needed to work out together and certain parts I probably didn't like, too. I'm sure there was something I didn't like, even though Martel's amazing. I was probably just too dumb to, to not like something. Mm-hmm. Um, so we rewrote it, and it got all the way to the point where, like, it was a year later now, and I was living in a different apartment in Williamsburg, much bigger uh, apartment for less money because Williamsburg was uh, was an s-hole at the time. Nobody wanted to live <laughs> there. It wasn't cool to live there. Um, you were still getting giant apartments for nothing um, because there was nothing around. There was no grocery store. So yikes! You know, and I shouldn't say there was nothing around. It wasn't an s-hole. I'm wrong because they were pl- <laughs> they, no no because it's not fair to the people who had made that their community in their neighborhood. It, it was there was a beautiful community there. Um, it's just that the, the apartments that, you know, gentlemen and, and ladies like myself who didn't grow up there and were invading, were moving into slowly, uh, we were renting places that were, you know, um, converted. They uh-huh. were, so I don't want to say, I don't want to say that because people, people grew up in Williamsburg in the eighties and they totally had communities. I don't want to be. Uh, rude about that. Sorry, Understood. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> no. sorry to turn like somber or whatever. But um, but uh, so now I'm living in a different apartment, and and me and my wife are married at this point, uh, which we got married pretty quickly anyway. And we, me and Martel are now working in this this extra bedroom, and and he's writing like effing madman. Like I thought I was writing the the kaiju man book mm-hmm. uh, qu- quickly. He is writing this music based book like nuts and we're doing rewrites because uh, which is which is a positive thing it's not a negative thing it's a positive thing we're doing rewrites and then uh, let me let me stop you for a second now when you say music based book this is i'm not this is the book i won't give away because oh, okay. all right <laughs> this is the book i won't give away 
I won't say what what this. I won't tell you if this book was about you know. Let's say no uh, more. I don't Joe, want. Joe Joe Johnson, the, the the blues player, and this was like you know him and the devil, or or uh-huh. if this was uh, a Jim Food inspired thing, or which it wasn't. Uh, but I'm not I'm not gonna say what it is because no one has done anything like this book yet. That All right, in, I will it, stop you right there because <laughs> I don't in, want you to in it like accidentally give something away as you're trying not to give something away. And I and I thank you. I appreciate that. And I won't because and here's the reason because of the epic rewrites that the book doesn't just belong to me. Uh huh. Even if I took the book and and rewrote it, there's always going to be some subliminal parts of Martell's version of things in my head. Even if I try to make them red and when they were blue, yeah. and black when they were white. I, I can never write that book in any version without thinking about Martell's stuff. So that book doesn't just belong to me in any capacity anymore. Right. That book, I am the creator of the of the of the main character and the 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 plot the, the seed uh, that was mm-hmm. the universe. But Martell was the recreator and navigator of what that book was becoming. So I became Tony. Is how this story started that's the chapter that's the chapter of this this this, the title of this chapter of my life is i became tony so martell did all this epic writing and it was better than the stuff that i had done on kaiju and in the fact that it was laid out in script format and and completely there Mm -hmm. i started developing the characters with him on what they looked like and then we were both creating characters uh which was nice (laughs) it was it was that kind of kevin eastman peter laird kind of way where you could see a little bit of each of us in every Yeah. Um, And the book got to be too good. It got to be to the point where I didn't, I slowly, Martell is sitting on a futon couch in what was like a a makeshift art studio, a spare room. And I was sitting at the drafting table and he's to my left and I'm on the right, you know, there's video game stuff and he's probably playing street fighter three on the dreamcast and there's stuff going on. It's it's a a real, like kind of like, you know, like flop house work room. And, and I'm slowly 40% of me is pulled away. Probably 60% of me is while I'm talking to him and drawing, I'm pulled away and the shadow is creeping over me. The, the, the nothing is creeping yeah. over me. Oh, and, and I'm, I'm realizing that I can't do this book that oh, I can't, man. that I can't, I can't do it as epic as, as, as I want to. And then you know what it becomes. Uh-huh. Those words turn into, I can't draw. That is so heavy. That is so heavy and so relatable. I get it, man. I know that feeling because I'm sure we've all had these projects that that we started that we knew we knew was gonna project us through the stratosphere. And as soon as we we started climbing our Mount Everest, as soon as we started flying in our rocket, we realized this rocket is gonna run out of gas. And I can't do this because uh, I don't have any gas. I don't, and not only do I not have any gas, I don't have the kind of gas required to propel me that far. The gas being skill, talent, or even ability, or even understanding of the medium, or uh, even confidence. 
I don't have that kind of fuel at this point in time. And we all have that story, I know, because I have that story, and Johnny has that story, and I'm sorry, Dave, one day when I get my act together, I will make something. We will, we will do something, if you still want to. But, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting story, because you, you talk to people, and we talk with artists, and it turns out that we all, we're all going through the same things, and... and it's about that community, you know, if we open up as a community, we help each other out, life doesn't have to be that hard. I mean, look at all the Kickstarters that get done. Look at all the GoFundMes that get done. Look at all the artists that are being supported because they want to do it. It's out there, man. It's achievable. It's attainable. We can grasp it. We just, you just have to have the courage and you have to have the will to endure all the struggles. Will it happen overnight? Probably not. Sometimes it does, but most times you are going to have to trudge and trudge and work and walk and bleed for it. And then one day it'll pay off. You, you, you don't, you know what? Shoot for the stars. Shoot for the stars and grab stardust. That's all I can say. Shoot for the stars and grab stardust because you will never know unless you don't, unless you try. And that's the most some of us can do is just at least try. I, I, my friend Cyril, who I talked to in the second episode, he's, uh, he's pretty hard on himself and I understand that. But I tell him, look, man, you got a comic. You've made a comic. You know what? You haven't just made a comic. You made two comics. And that's a lot more than most people can say. That is so much more than a lot of us can say. Because I have met so many artists and so many classmates and so many people just talking about that graphic novel that they're working on. Oh, yeah, I'm working on a graphic novel. Oh, yeah, I'm working on a graphic novel. Well, guess what? I'm one of those artists working on a graphic novel. Well, not anymore. I'm going to write a story, and I'm going to make a graphic novel someday. <laughs> but I digress. Let's, um, let's get to something that I'm very excited about. So Johnny Pop was commissioned by the Conjure Club to make a pin. Now, this pin is not just any pin. This pin was of something that I'm sure most of us, most of us remember from times past. The Metal Turtle from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's right, the Metal Turtle. And it is a metal pin, and it is shiny, and it is heavy, and it is so nice to hold and so cool to look at. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing. And Johnny's, Johnny's art really works with the enamel pen medium. And when I bought it, I, I was, I'm not going to say I was worried because I knew it would be something great. When I got it, I was blown away. It's amazing. I love looking at it. I should have bought one for myself, but I am one broke chick. And I don't know. Okay, I'm not a chick, but I'm a broke dude, and I don't have enough money to splurge on myself. But guess what? I do have enough money to splurge on you, dear neurons and neuronets. And right now, you're probably asking, how can I, how, how do I get such a pin? Well, I'll tell you how you get such a pin. If you want the Metal Turtle pin, all you need to do is go on iTunes and give me a review. Review the Neon Neuron podcast on iTunes. And if you're the first one to review, 
guess what? You get the pin. So, sounds simple, right? It is simple. All I'm asking for is one review, and the first person that reviews it gets the pin. So, uh, you know, once you review, shoot me an email, let me know, and I'll check, I'll verify. It doesn't even, you know, really, it doesn't even have to be a good review. You can tell me, like, how much the show sucks, if you think the show sucks. I hope you don't think it sucks, because I hope you like it. I like doing this, and I'm trying my hardest. I got a job that I got to keep. I got a family I got to support. So this, I have to do in the wee hours of the night, or the wee hours of the day, when everybody snuck out, or when, you know, when I'm alone. When I'm alone by myself, when I could be doing other things. But I'm doing this for you. So if you want that pin... Give me a review. Send an email to neonneuron1 at gmail.com. That's neonneuron, the number one, at gmail.com. You could also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. What else? Tumblr. Oh, my goodness, I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. Why are you not there with me? We should be together. This is getting weird. So I'm just going to close it with the legendary Wiz Wars with his awesome song, Game Boy Rock. You can find WizWars at wizwars.bandcamp.com. to support each other and this is how it is.